I have a word I want to share with you this morning, and I'm excited to do so. Uh, today we're, we're looking, we're in the middle of a series called Through Christ, and today we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy. Now, uh, we've been kind of skipping around different, different verses, different passages, different genres of Scripture, and today we're looking at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, I must say, is my favorite book of the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Sometimes you call it the Pentateuch. And the Deuteronomy, there's something about Deuteronomy. I just love Deuteronomy. So I'm excited to share this word that uh, I believe God has for us this morning. But would you pray with me? Let's prepare our hearts to receive what God has for us today. I want to prepare my heart to give you what I believe God has given me. But I also want you to prepare your hearts to receive it. Uh, If we haven't prepared, if we haven't prepared the soil of our hearts, then sometimes the word of God falls on shallow ground. So we're going to prepare our hearts. Lord, we just ask that you would come now, Lord, and prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning, Lord. God, would you soften our hearts, Lord, soften the soil of our hearts, that when you come and speak to us, that we would receive it well. And God, I pray that I would be able to deliver the thing that you have given me, Lord, that we would be faithful listeners and faithful uh, sayers this morning. In your precious name, Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, so if you have a Bible, open it up to Deuteronomy 5. If you don't have a Bible, you can pull out your phone. If you don't have a smartphone or, or a Bible, I have no idea who you are. But we do have it on the screen as well, um, so you can read it off of there. But I would like to invite somebody uh, who would like to read the passage. We're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Jim, would you like to read the passage for us? I'm going to get you the microphone also because there are some that would like to hear it that would make it easier if you have a microphone. So I'm going to give you this, and you're just going to read it off the screen there. Go ahead. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your towns so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand. And an outstretched arm is supposed to be on the bottom of that, but it might have gotten lost. And an outstretched arm. Therefore, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy, says the Lord. Amen. What does it mean to observe the Sabbath day? Can you go back to that very first verse? What does it mean to observe the Sabbath day? For ancient Israelites, it it was a mandatory cessation of work. Right? Nobody could work from between sundown on a Friday to sundown on a Saturday. That was the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to work at all. And in some places uh, of the world today, and even in the United States in some places, those prohibitions on work still apply. There are communities that still practice a a Sabbath uh, very much in the sense of this passage. Um, But today, you know, it generally means the same kind of thing for Christians within our own contexts. Um, Often we think of Sunday as our Sabbath, but there are Christians There's some right up the road from us, God bless them, Seventh-day Adventists, who who very adamantly believe that the Sabbath is supposed to be on a Saturday, and and that's just fine by me. I'm not arguing with them at all. But regardless of whatever day it is that you say, this is my Sabbath, 
often Christians decide we're not working on this day. We're not going to work. And it's a little funny, of course, for me as a pastor to stand up here and preach to you about Sabbath and not going to work because Sunday is the busiest day of my week <laughs> for me. You know, I mean, can you imagine uh, me getting up here and saying, uh, you know, I don't work on the Sabbath, and yet I deliver a 30 to 40 minute message to, you know, over 50 people every week, and this is the day that I do it on. And then there's, of course, all the other ministry that goes around it. So, but I do have Fridays and Saturdays off. I take Fridays and Saturdays off, and one of those days I usually reserve as a Sabbath. Uh, I, I try my best not to go to work on that day and not work at all. And we used to have blue laws. Do you know this? Do you know these things? Blue laws, some of us do, some of us remember that. Blue laws were laws in the United States that, that uh, were set up to discourage or prohibit certain kinds of businesses from making transactions on Sundays. So certain kinds of businesses or business sectors were not allowed to do business on Sundays, and they're called blue laws. And they pretty much have gone off the books by now. They've been overturned by, by legislation. And, and the point I want to make is that our, our society today is not really set up very well for this commandment. Not set up entirely well for the commandment of observing the Sabbath. It's one of those commandments that's kind of easy to ignore, right? Do not kill. That one's a little bit more difficult to ignore, right? <laughs> but observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. That one sometimes kind of gets pushed to the side. It kind of gets left to the side a bit. Gets a little less attention in our weekly rhythms of life. And I want to talk about that today. Uh, there was a 1904, how many of you guys took economics at some point in your life in college or in high school? Okay, God bless you. Um, there was a book published in 1904 that they still read in economics classes today. I read it for an economics class, and it's called uh, The Protestant Work Ethic, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. It's by a German sociologist named Max Weber. Uh, if you ever had to read it, like I did, I apologize. Um, but in it, he made a really interesting argument that Protestantism, of which we're a part of, by the way, if you didn't know that, we're a part of the Protestant church. Protestantism kind of lends itself towards a hard at work ethic, towards capitalism, towards working itself. And he says that it's because hard work has sort of become the mark of a life of devotion. And laziness is sort of the sin that we're trying to combat against. On a certain level, we want to be producers. We want to make things. We want to do things with our time. So there's something very troubling to us, I think naturally, about God's commandment to take a Sabbath. We can't imagine that God would stop us from working altogether, right? So maybe we don't go to work. Maybe we just jump on our computer for an hour or two, right? answer a few emails, maybe take a couple phone calls. That's not real work, right? That's kind of like soft work. That's light work, you know? Because we can't imagine that God would actually tell us to stop working altogether. Surely he means don't go to your place of business. He can't really mean don't work. That would be quite silly of him to say. Uh, I, I admit that taking a Sabbath is very difficult for me. I'm one of those people that really likes to produce. I like to be efficient. I like to have a list of tasks, and then I like to mark those things off my task list. Um, I enjoy the, the feeling of finishing something. 
And it makes me feel uneasy when things are left undone, when there's a task I'm in the middle of. It bothers me. And so into this dissatisfaction, God throws this wrench called Sabbath. And he says, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And when you keep something holy, of course, that means you set it aside for special use. You designate it towards something, right? It's no longer general time. It's holy time. It's set-aside time. It's time that's been reserved. Sabbath is designated by God to be a day of rest. It's specifically designed to be a non-productive day. And it's just incredible to me. Imagine that God wants you to take one-seventh of your entire life, not just your sleeping hours, but your working, your productive hours. He wants you to take a seventh, 14% of your life, and set it aside for rest. Don't do anything on that day. It's incredible. You imagine working a nine-to-five job, and your boss comes to you as you're being hired, and they say to you, look, this is what I want you to do. Every hour that you work, I want you to take eight and a half minutes and just sit there and do nothing. Right? Yeah, that would be my initial reaction. That'd be great. Yes, sign me up, right? But I must admit to you, I must admit to you, after a week or a month of doing that, I would start to say to myself, what am I doing here? I'm supposed to be earning a paycheck, you know? Maybe if I just kind of take that eight and a half minutes and I kind of tidy my work area, you know, or I could do some filing. I could do some soft work. Because I can't imagine that my boss would want me to just sit there for eight and a half minutes every hour. Right? Sabbath throws a wrench in our plans because we want to feel productive. We want to feel like we're earning something. Number one, Sabbath, by the way, if you're taking notes, on the back of your bulletin, there is a space for notes if you're interested. Number one, taking a Sabbath is difficult for us because we are convinced that our productivity earns us the favor of God. I'll say that again. Taking a Sabbath is difficult for us because we are convinced that our productivity earns God's favor. Earns us favor. We spend our whole week trying to be productive, trying to be good Christians, right? And inevitably we fail. We're not as productive as we want to be. We don't pray as much as we want to. We don't read our Bible as much as we should. We don't talk to our kids enough. We don't work on our sermons enough. And when Sabbath rolls around, God says, I want you to take a day of rest. I want you to sit down. Don't do anything. And we say, God, that's that's insane. I, I can't do that this week. If anything, I should take this time to work harder to set myself up well for next week and try to do better next week. Maybe next week I can take a day off. But this week, I did nothing to deserve this day off. What could I have possibly done to deserve this day off? And God says, that's precisely the point. That's precisely the point because your productivity does not earn the favor of God. The favor of God is given to you by a matter of grace, by a matter of unearning, by a matter of not earning, by a matter of not being productive. And see, that's where the the switch needs to be flipped in our minds because on some level, we still believe that our salvation is tied to our productivity. Our salvation is tied to what we can do for God, to what we can produce for God. Are we a good enough Christian for God? Are we good enough in the things that we do? And God says, no, 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 no. Don't you understand? It has never been good enough. It has never been good enough. That's never been even a question. 
It's always been a matter of grace. Rest is a matter of grace. Sabbath is a matter of grace. And I'm always conscious of the fact also that when I talk about this, that there are many people who are caught in a cycle of poverty, who are caught in a cycle of work, who work two or three or four jobs and still are unable to pay for their basic necessities. I'm conscious of the fact that there are those whom when I say take a Sabbath, that is a heavy financial burden to bear. And I need to acknowledge that there's difficulty in taking a Sabbath. I see that. I understand that. But number two, it is hard to take a Sabbath because it is hard to trust God. It is hard to take a Sabbath because sometimes it is hard to trust God. Here in Deuteronomy, the command is uh, not just for the listener, right? Come on, go on to the next uh, two verses later. One more. There you go. Not just for the listener. It says, you shall do, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your ox or your donkey, any of your livestock, and the resident alien in your towns, so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. We have sons and daughters today. That makes sense to us. We don't really have slaves um, in this sense. At least, God, if you have slaves, come and talk to me afterwards. We have employees. We have employees. We have people that we have in our employ. We have caretakers. We have people who clean our house, maybe. Uh, We have people who we give money to, and they are in our employ. But in our society today, it's understood that the, ex- that the concerns and needs of the people that we employ are not our concerns. We're not supposed to be concerned with how people spend their time. The needs of those we employ are not our concern. Those are their concern. But just as we heard four weeks ago, we've been in this series, just as we heard four weeks ago, living life through Christ means making the concerns and needs of other people our concerns. And holding in common the concerns and needs of others. Just like God held us in common with himself. So the command here in Deuteronomy is actually an invitation to you to care for the people that you employ. If you have employees, make sure they're taking their PTO. Make sure they're taking their paid time off. Check in with them. Are they working too hard? Are they getting enough family time? Are your caretakers having enough time and space to care for themselves? Are, they, are you providing your house cleaners with enough time off to be able to enjoy life? Are you working with them when they have emergencies? And that doesn't mean that you micromanage another person's life, right? Or you tell them how to live their life. But it does mean that you have a responsibility for your neighbor. You have a responsibility for your neighbor. And you need to recognize the ways in which Us as a society, us as individuals, us as employers, are restricting the ability of other people to have a Sabbath, are stopping others from doing what God has asked them to do. It's convicting to me sometimes to complain about how our society doesn't allow us to have Sabbath and then to go to Safeway on a Sunday and expect that they're going to be open and selling me things. Because honestly, I don't really care about the tellers at Safeway and them getting their Sabbath. I care about me and my needs. God forbid me. Am I the only one who thinks that way? Or is there somebody else? Please, please let there be somebody else. 
not just me. I'm bearing my soul up here. <laughs> when we practice Sabbath keeping, we're not just keeping the Sabbath for ourselves, but our concern for others leads us to want others to experience the Sabbath as well. Rest, time of rest, right? Also, it says here, you have to provide rest for the resident alien in your town. So it's your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your ox, your donkey, your livestock, the things that work for you, basically, the things that are working for you, or the resident alien of your towns. Now, that's interesting because the resident alien doesn't actually work for you. The word for resident alien there, if you, if you want to look it up and kind of dig behind it, best translation for it is probably something like refugee or displaced person, right? Displaced person. That's somebody who, you know, we have uh, our society, we have, you have neighbors, you have community, maybe you lived in the same area where you were born or you know people, you have a community. A displaced person is somebody who has had a community, has had a language, has had a society, and then they're taken out and they're put into somewhere else, right? They're displaced. They have been displaced from where they were. And that kind of a person, that person who's displaced in your community, is a very vulnerable person. They're vulnerable to having, being taken advantage of, and they're vulnerable especially when it comes to rest and Sabbath. They are displaced, internally displaced, because they're not a part of their community, and externally displaced because they're in a foreign place. They are a completely displaced person. And even this person, who has no claim to your community, even they must be given space and time for rest. Israel's responsibility extended beyond its own community. This is such an important concept because I can imagine an Israelite listening to this command and thinking to themselves, wait a minute, this is, this is our land. This is our community, right? We fought for this land. This land was given to us by God. If a foreigner wants to come into our land, that might be okay. But why would they reap the benefits of our land? Right? They're not a part of our land. They want to enjoy the blessings of this land, but they have no claim to it. A blessing of a land which is not theirs. And God replies, next verse. God says, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath holy. In other words, I was the one who brought you out of Egypt, where you were displaced, where you were a slave. I brought you to this land to enjoy the blessings of this land. Therefore, you are the ones who have no claim to this land. You are the ones who, this land is not yours. In fact, all land is mine, and I'm allowing you to occupy this space with me. Therefore, the blessings that you receive, you have no claim to. But again, it's a matter of grace. I have given you this land. I have given you freedom. I have given you this space to enjoy it. Israel had a responsibility to the resident aliens among them, the displaced, the refugees, because when they were displaced, when they were a slave, when they were a refugee, God took responsibility for them. Therefore, they have to take responsibility for others. Living our life today through Christ means that we cannot look only to our own communities, our own people, if you will. We have to take the blessings that God has given us out of his grace 
and extend them to the people around us. That means grace, that means forgiveness, that means freedom, that means mercy, that means time and space for Sabbath. Yes, that even means material blessings. We have to extend those to those around us because when we were at our lowest, when we were displaced, when we were far from God, Paul says, at just the right time, when you were far from him, God came and rescued you. And the blessings of God that are made available to you through Christ, God is now making available to others through you. Do you see how that works? God has made these things available to you through Christ, and now through you, God is extending these blessings to those around you. It's as if you are now called to be Christ to the world around you. It's as if you are now called to be the conduit of God's mercy and grace and blessing to those around you. It's almost as if you are supposed to be miniature Christs. It's almost as if you are supposed to be Christians, right? Ones through whom the blessings of God flow to the rest of the world. Ones who are called by God to reap and benefit from and then extend the blessings of God to others. And to those who are currently going through struggles and suffering, I want to say God has a rescue plan for you. That's the other beautiful part of this verse. God has a rescue plan for you. And it might require walking through some suffering, and it might require walking through hard times and difficult things. But God is going to be with you in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your struggling, right? God says elsewhere in Deuteronomy, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when you come to the other side of that hard place, when you get to the other side of that, of that hardship, when you're free from your bondage, Deuteronomy 5 has a message for you. And the message is this. God's plan does not start and stop with you. Yeah. He has a plan for others as well. And through Christ, through you, God makes things available to those in our world. The Sabbath is a weekly reminder that my life is not sustained by my own efforts, but by the grace of God. It is a weekly reminder that the worth of a man, the worth of a woman, is not tied to their utility in society, but tied to their maker. It's a weekly reminder that my own worth, and not just mine, but my sons and my daughters, those who work for me, those in my employ, yes, even nature and livestock, and even those who are not a part of my community, have value and deserve protection, not because they hold economic value, but because they hold value from God, their maker. They hold creative power, creative value, God, the creator, saw them and decided they needed to exist. He saw them and said, this world is incomplete without this person. This world is incomplete without this thing, without this tree, without this. They're a part of our creative order, and therefore they have value. It's not that they are productive people or good people, or they're the kind of people you would want around. It's simply that they are people that give some value. To observe Sabbath is to agree with God on these things, to say yes to God's 
sense of your worth, to say yes to the sense of worth of others. To observe the Sabbath is to enter into a covenant with God, an agreement with him. And that's why Sabbath keeping is so important with Scripture, and I'll end on this. All throughout the prophets, you hear God telling Israel, you have profaned my Sabbath, you have profaned my Sabbath. And, the, and what, it, what matters there is not that God is some dictator who's interested in dictating every single aspect of your life, and you didn't fall in line, and so therefore there's going to be punishments. What's at stake here is that Sabbath is a way to say, yes, I see God, I trust God, and I recognize the inherent worth of myself and others as a part of God's creation, as deserving of Sabbath, not because we've earned it, but because God has given it to us out of his grace. It is saying, God, I trust that you will provide for me. I believe that I have worth enough to rest. I agree I have a responsibility for others to contend for their rest as well. That's what Sabbath keeping is all about. Now, of course, there's always a what and a when and a where and a how. To that, I don't, I don't have clear instruction for you. It's important to keep a Sabbath. My Sabbath is not on a Sunday. Usually Friday is my Sabbath. Usually. Sometimes it has to be Saturday. But whatever day it is for you, take a day during your week and set it aside and say, this is holy time. This is designated time. This is non-productive time. This is time to simply be in the presence of God, to rest, to truly rest, because you are worth rest, because God has made you worthy. So we're going to have some time to pray. We're going to pray, and I want to encourage you. We're going to invite some people up here to help us pray. And if you're the kind of person who says, you know what, I I need prayer this morning. I need prayer this morning maybe because you have not fully understood the worth that you have to God. Maybe you need prayer this morning because in your past or in your life, there are people who want to tell you that you're worth less than you actually are. You're worth less than what this passage shows you. I want to tell you something. God's word to you is life. There's a theologian named Karl Barton. He said, basically, God has only spoken two words since the beginning of time. Two words only. The first word is no. First, no. No to sin. No to death. No to the things that destroy you. And the second word is yes. Yes to life. Yes to you. Yes to your future. God contends for you in your future. And today you might be saying to yourself, I don't feel that. I don't feel that I'm worthy of that. I don't feel like I'm, I can hear God's yes in my life. I want to invite you as we begin to pray, come up, seek God for that. We want to pray with you. We want to contend with you in prayer that you would hear God's yes spoken over your life. But there's another part of this, and that is that some of us here today might be saying, I've heard God's yes for my life, but I'm beginning to realize I've been saying no, no, no to the people around me, to the people in my community. And as much as I hear God saying yes to me, I've said no to everybody else. Out of a sense of my own insecurity, out of a sense of fear, out of a sense of wanting to protect myself or protect my interests, I've said no to others. And I want to encourage you also, come forward when we have the time for prayer. Come forward, because God wants to work with you. God wants to contend for you. God wants to work on your heart, so that the yes of God doesn't just stop at you, but flows through you and begins to say yes to the people around you. 
So we're going we're gonna to take some time to pray. I'm going to end this in prayer. I want to invite the prayer team to come forward while I'm praying. And what we're going to do is we're going to just have some time in here for prayer. And the way we're going to do this, if you, if you want to stay and pray silently in your seats, please do so. Uh, please don't feel rushed. But if you would like to greet, if you'd like to meet, if you want to meet some of the new people or something like that, we just want to encourage you, head back into the foyer. There's some coffee. There's some cookies. There's some apples. Go grab your kid from downstairs. Hang out. Go into the parking lot area. Spend some time meeting and greeting one another. But we're going to save this time and this space up here for prayer, okay? So I'm going to go ahead and pray. I'm going to pray a blessing over you, and then we're going to do that. And at about uh, probably 11.45, we're going to be downstairs with the Children's Church so please, if you are a leader or you want to be a leader in the children's church, come and join us down there at that time. We will feed you lunch. But let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. God, I want to give you thanks and glory today. Because when I was at my lowest, you saw something in me worth saving. When I was at my most unworthy, you saw something in me that was worth something to you. God, I thank you because your grace has been extended to me in so many, many ways. In ways that go beyond my even understanding. And so, Lord, as we come before you, I pray today that if there's somebody here today who says, I can't feel the worth of God in my life, Holy Spirit, would you begin to work in their heart? Jesus, right now, come alongside of that person and begin to speak into their heart and into their life. Remind them, Lord, that you spoke them into existence. You saw them while they were being formed. You saw every day of their life, every mistake, every misstep. You saw all of those things, and you said, this person's worth it to me. This person is worth creation. This person is worth it. Everything that I have given this person is worth it. Lord, would you speak worth into people's hearts today? And for those who believe that they have done something or something's happened to them that would drive them so far away from your presence, I pray that you would remind them that there's nowhere on earth or even under the earth, or above the earth, that they could go that would escape your presence. Because, Lord, you have pursued them even to this day. Jesus, would you speak life over people? And for those of us, God, who say, I've received your life, but it's hard for me to extend life to others. God, would you just clear out, Lord, it's almost like there's a, there's a drain that's been blocked. Would you clear it out, Lord? Would you clear it out because your blessings are not just for us, but for our communities, for those around us. And so we ask that you would unblock the channels of our hearts, Lord, that we might be able to be conduits of your mercy and grace to other people around us. Holy Spirit, it's only by your power that we're able to love the unlovable. It's only by the presence of your Holy Spirit that we're able to do that which we cannot do, which is love our enemies. So Holy Spirit, come, fill us anew, renew us, Lord, that we might be able to have the power to love this world just as you have loved us. God, extend to us your grace in that. and your precious name, Jesus. and your precious name, amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen, amen, amen. Would you come forward if you need prayer? Would you move into the back if you'd like to talk? And if you just want to take some time to pray or read scripture, please do that in this room. You're dismissed. Thank you.